So let's go to Psalm 71, and that's our scripture today. I also want to say CIL moms and mom figures, I've just been amazed to see how the ladies of CIL who are moms and those who help moms, the way you guys love and nurture, I get to see you in all types of settings, and it's amazing. It's amazing. And I just, I'm in awe of Jesus' work through you as moms, and you guys are mentors. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and it's going to apply to all of us, but moms are going to be in our hearts the entire time. We're talking about a series called CIL Resurrection, and we, we, we are praying for God to continue to grow our church, and, and you're part of the answer to that prayer. Those of you who have been here for many years and those of you who are checking the church out or who are new, you're part of the answer to our prayer. And a few weeks ago, I, I presented the church with some definitive statements on why we're praying for God to grow the church and we're partnering with, with God to do that. And here was one of those definitive statements. We must see the next generation experience the blessings of a growing church. We have to see that. In other words, it's not enough that I can tell stories from the 90s and even the 80s. In fact, Mauricio, you're having the 80s night at youth group. I was in youth group in the 80s. So, yeah, these guys will look like little errands running around the, the, the youth service. The mullet was popular then, and it's made a comeback now, but I, I had quite a cool curly mullet. But anyway, it's not enough for us to share about what God did in the 90s and in the aughts and in the 10s. Our kids must experience the power of God, our grandkids, our nieces and nephews, and that's why we're growing and we're praying for a growing church and we're partnering with God to make that happen. Because here is our mission. This is why we exist. To know his love and to share his love. Hey, I want you to grow. I want you to mature in the Lord. That's one of the things God's called me and our pastoral team to do is to present you before the Lord as mature believers. So every single one of us needs to grow. We need to know his love. But we also share his love. And part of that is knowing that because we benefited from the previous generation, now we are someone else's previous generation. So everything we've received from the Lord, we pass on. Everything we've received from the Lord, we pass on to a new and different generation. And this song in Psalm 71, uh, it, it just so summarizes the heart for the next generation. Let's read it. It says, God, you have taught me from my youth. And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Verse 18 of Psalm 71. Even while I am old and gray, God, do not abandon me. While I proclaim your power to another generation and your strength to all who are to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's staggering how impressionable children are. You know, research in recent years 
in, in the last few decades, and even in this decade, has reinforced what we already knew in, intuitively, that children are impacted in incalculable ways. The, the small interactions we have with kids can greatly impact their lives. You know that, you know that in your heart as true and the social sciences have, have also proven it through research. Here's the first point I want to make today. The scripture tells us that impact happens early. Impact happens so early. Now, last week in the 9 a.m. service, I accidentally gave an illustration and talked about Vanderbilt sports. And it was not in the notes. It just slipped out. And so sorry, you Vanderbilt fans, about that. So this week I have an illustration that is leaning back into the Vanderbilt-Tennessee rivalry. And all week long I've tried to avoid it. But it's a true story, so I can't. So here we go. So I apologize, 9 a.m., for going back to that well a second week in a row. But we used to be Vanderbilt fans, and we still are, but we're also UT fans because so many people I love in my life are happier when the Vols win. So I just root for them both. In fact, the joy of the Lord just is more apparent when the Vols win. So I'm just happy both ways. I root now for Vanderbilt and UT because I love you guys. That's, that's my pastoral work is to support both programs. In case you don't know, there's a historic rivalry there. My, one of my sons, my oldest son, the last time I checked with him, has a high disdain for the University of Tennessee. But unfortunately, it's kind of my fault. Uh, when he was real, real young, we had a poster uh, of Vanderbilt's team, basketball team, and it had the schedule underneath of the different teams. You've seen those posters. Before. So we had a team, and I instinctively said, yeah, but we don't like that team. <laughs> and Lucas told me that he actually remembers the story, and it's my fault. It's my fault that, for those of you who like the orange, that I put him on the wrong pathway. It's been a life of misery for him ever since then. <laughs> not necessarily, not true. Sorry about that, Vandy fans. So I tried to come up with a different illustration that was true, and I couldn't get around that one because it is it's so instructive to us that a small interaction with a child can have a lifetime of impact. That's why moms, what you do is so important. Grandmas, what you do is so important. Dads, uncles, aunts, mentors, teachers, Oh, if we could just allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in wisdom and discipline with our tongues because the smallest interaction has the biggest impact. The power of a moment with a child. Let me remind, remind you of this this morning because those, the power of that moment is a positive moment. So many things we say or so many things we introduce our, our children to can set them on a path of righteousness, set them on the place where God wants them. And I just want to say this, that this is not a morning to regret all the mistakes we've, we've, we've made. Guys, I've done things that I just really regret with my kids. I've made mistakes. I've lost my temper, all that kind of stuff. And 
if anyone's honest, if a parent is, is honest, they will admit the same too. If, if parents, if you think you'd never make a mistake, that, that's, that's prideful. Every parent's going to make a mistake. I know some of you don't want to because you love your kids so much. But even your perfection may impact your kids negatively if you're the perfect parent that never shows any weakness, right? This is, it's a sinful world we live in. And that's why the healing we have for God who heals those negative experience and moments, who renews the damage that's happened. So we won't focus on something in the past that you can't change. But moms, grandmas, dads, aunts, uncles, think of the influence you can have with someone who is younger that's in your life. Look at verse 17 again. God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still proclaim your wondrous works. I thank God for Pastor Jacobs leading us into Testify Night on Monday, our 242 groups, and there were a various amount of testimonies that were, were, were really powerful. But we all know, if you've been around church at any time, that the more dramatic the testimony, the more popular it can be. I mean, I learned more about sin as a kid by just listening to testimonies in church. I'm like, okay, I didn't know you could buy drugs at this part of town. And they were kind of sometimes spectacular. And I thank God for his transformational power. We're looking for more of that. We're looking for more life change. The hardest of sinners, which we all should consider ourselves as that, we want to see converted through our church. But I just want to say this, and I want to say this to especially some of our younger ones who may be sitting with their moms today or teenagers here. Please hear this. A young heart directed to the Lord is an impactful gift to the world. For those of you who have been positioned to live for the Lord from an early age, that is a beautiful, powerful, impactful gift to the world. Don't believe the narrative that you have to chase worldly things to have a testimony. Because your testimony is God grabbed your heart and kept you from a lifestyle of sin. And that long-term walk with the Lord is a gift to this world. And we thank God for that. A young heart is powerful when given to the Lord. And that is where mentoring and mothering become so valuable to us. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul's writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and that's why it's called 2 Timothy. As you know, the Bible is not a book. It's a collection of 66 books. And this is one such letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God who, whom I serve with a clean conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. Now look at this. 
I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. What a beautiful scripture for mentoring and on this American recognition of Mother's Day. In case you didn't know, Mother's Day is not in the Bible, but honoring your mother is in the Bible, right? What, what a great reminder. So we, we found out in Acts 16 that Timothy was half Jewish and half Greek. His father was Greek, but his, his mother and grandmother were Jewish, and they trained him in the faith. And Paul said, when I see the work of Jesus in you, I'm reminded of your mother, and I'm reminded of your grandmother. Ladies, hear this today. Hear this today. The work of Jesus in the child you're responsible for will live on, will live on beyond you, beyond your influence and beyond your years. And think about this as a vision for a child you're taking care of or a teenager you're launching into adulthood or even an adult child that you're helping through adulthood. Lord knows that Beth's mom and my mom helped us get through adulthood. I mean, they helped us with our kids and helped us with our life in so many ways. So it doesn't stop, does it, when they turn 19 or 18. But think about this, that someday, here's a vision. Someone's going to see the work of Jesus in a child you took care of, and they're going to think of you. I say that not because we're looking for pride, but we're looking for a continuation of the gospel in the lives of those we're responsible for. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And, and I want you to get a vision of that because we live in a culture that is, is calling, calling us as, as parents to stay young, to stay hip, to stay relevant. And God can use those tools for his purposes, but when that becomes our priority, then we lose the vision of mentorship. Our job is not to be like our kids. Our job is to lead our kids. And when we lead our kids to something, we lead our kids to Jesus. And when we lead our kids to Jesus, then we see the work of Jesus through the decades. And that's the vision God wants you to have. Don't let your vision just to be your kid's friends. Be your kid's leader, and then you'll be a lifelong friend. Kids end up resenting parents who want to be their buddies, but they respect parents who take on the mantle of leadership. And in this culture of delayed adulthood, we're trying to delay adulthood as long as we can, as long as we can. You know, the Jewish people, a man became a man at 13. Not 43, not 53. He became a man at 13. And this applies to both genders that we step into the role God has for us. We step into adulthood. We don't become the the playboy, the, the, the person who is always trying to stay young forever. Why? Because we're mentors and we have responsibility. And it's our turn to be the previous generation. It's not our turn just to benefit from the previous generation. It's our turn to be the previous generation. You may have heard of a lady named Susanna Wesley. She was alive in the 1700s, a long, long time ago. She was the wife of a pastor, and get this, guys, 
She had 19 kids. Man, if anyone deserved, let me fix this here. If anyone deserved a Mother's Day nap, it was Susanna Wesley. (laughs) By the way, just you young dads, in case you're wondering the best gift to give your, your wife today, let her nap this afternoon. I know it's really weird. Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, they want to nap, you know? It's just a really weird thing. They deserve to. 19 kids. Her 14th kid was named John. And with John and the others, uh, she would have a method to train them spiritually. And this method was morning devotions and scripture memory. And eventually that son, John Wesley, he began to teach that method to thousands of thousands of people. And it became the Methodist movement, which is the second largest movement historically in the United States. All right, so I'm, I'm hoping this thing gets better, but I think it's getting worse. So we'll see. What do you, should we take a vote? Should I push forward with, the, with this microphone? Okay, I'll push forward a little more. Okay. Cole, you just let me know if I need to switch, all right? You've been sitting on that second row for 12 years now, so uh, you, you have the right over a microphone. When I think about Susanna Wesley, and her name will probably be mentioned in a lot of churches today, I want to remind moms, and I want to remind myself, you never know how far your methods and love will spread. Those traditions that we create that are positive traditions with our kids, like bringing them to church and including God in your life, you never know how far they'll spread. Susanna Wesley had no idea or concept, and I'm, I'm sure she even died in this life not realizing that her methods through her son impacted not only England, but greatly impacted the United States of America. Have you guys ever seen videos of the Great Barrier Reef in Australia? Has anyone gone? If you anyone seen the Great Barrier Reef? Uh, okay, a couple of you guys have. Now, this is um, something that, you know how you, you, you know of something that's great in this world. And you say, I'd like to see that someday. Well, the problem with me seeing this someday is I might have to scuba dive or snorkel. And I don't want to do either one of those things. <laughs> those are not in my future. Now, a helicopter ride? Okay, now we're talking. We might do that. But a place of great beauty. The formation of this reef started 9,000 years ago, and then it stopped about 5,000 years ago. It reminds us of something, that something beautiful takes a lot of time. Something beautiful takes a lot, a lot of time. Here's my second point today. Influence extends with longevity. Influence extends with longevity. I want to remind you of this, is that not much is accomplished in a single conversation. You have to remember that on the holidays. Like if you have, you have a, a young adult in your life that you really want to correct at Mother's Day lunch because they're saying something really stupid, in your opinion, it may be right. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not judging. Saying something in that conversation will probably have limited impact. But what does have impact is who you are over a generation. And your consistent 
life in Christ, consistently living out your faith, consistently being a loving presence has an impact on the next generation in ways we can't conceive. Look at verse 18. Even when I'm old and gray, God, do not abandon me. While I proclaim your power to another generation, your strength to all who are to come. It takes time to make an impact. It takes, God uses longevity. God uses a process. God uses years and decades. Be encouraged in that. Proverb chapter 3 verse 1 says, My child, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And then verse 2. For length of days and years of life and abundant welfare will they give you. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not just looking for length of life. I'm looking for welfare during that length of life. I don't want to just survive a long time. I want to live in the abundance God has. Look at verse 2 one more time, Proverbs 3. That if we don't forget his teaching, length of days... And years of life and abundant welfare. We receive, that's what the teaching of God's word will do. And so we receive and we pass on what we receive. We receive and we pass that on. Open your eyes that you're called to be a mentor. And every one of you has something to give to somebody else. Every one of you has love to give. Every one of you has, has presence to give. Every one of you are ready to answer that question. I found this, that people love to give, give advice. That's like our, our, our favorite hobby is to give advice. And, um, you know, we are advice people. And I've learned that if we wait to be asked, people receive it a whole lot better. And so we position ourselves relationally. For when that key question comes or that text comes in our phone or that phone call comes, then we're ready to share the wisdom that comes. Most breakthroughs in humanity have been the result of a problem. If you really start thinking about that, whether it's the discovery of a new medicine, whether it's technological advances, whether it's anything that, that benefits humanity, it's answered a problem. With every problem comes an opportunity. I'm well aware that we live in a time that's really disturbing culturally. But there's some things that are happening culturally that we couldn't even imagine as recently as seven, eight, ten years ago. And we know that the role of Christianity in the public forum has been diminished. And even in some cases... It's been marginalized. In some cases, it's still being promoted. And so it's kind, of, it's kind of a mixed bag of that. But I don't have to list the problems. You're thinking about different challenges we have in this generation. But I want to kind of close this teaching with this encouragement. With every challenge comes an opportunity. Almost every breakthrough in humanity has been the result of a problem being solved. Here's the last thing I want to share today. Is strength comes to each generation. Strength comes to each 
generation. And let's go back to Psalm 71. Look at verse 18. We read this already, but I want to emphasize a different part of it. Even while I am old and gray, God, don't abandon me. While I proclaim your power to another generation, there's purpose here. There's purpose in mentorship. There's purpose in relationship. There's purpose in engagement. Now look at this though. Your strength to all who are to come. Guys, we can easily look pessimistically at what's happening in our world and changes that are occurring and believe the narrative that everything's going to just continually get worse and be terrible. But here is another way to look at it. The challenges that teenagers have today are great, but our God has new strength for new challenges. Here is the part that we need to remember that even though the, the problems in, in culture are impacting our teenagers in unique and devastating ways. The people who are being impacted the worst are also the people who are our greatest hope and our greatest opportunity and our greatest solution and, and, and who will have the greatest thoughts and the freshest ideas and the most insight. Uh, the, the people, the, the young people today who are being assaulted by a new mindset and a new world are also those who can find new strength, new anointing, new identity in Christ, new power from the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just calling us to push aside the pessimism that, that blames the younger generation, blames young adults, blames young professionals, blames teenagers, that gets mad at teenagers, gets mad at college-age students, gets mad at, at elementary kids. These, these children, these teenagers, these young adults, they only know the world that they've grown up in. They don't know the world some of us grew up in. So instead of being mad at them or angry at them and push them aside. Instead, why don't we engage with them, believe in them, pray for them, hope in the Lord for them. Believing this is that with every problem comes a great opportunity. There's new strength for the generation that is emerging. There are new, there's a new anointing available for them. There's new access to scripture. There's new speed of travel. There's more interaction between denominations. There's more cooperation between the churches. There's more anointed worship. There's more powerful preaching going on on the internet and the world wide web. There is more deep, authentic relationships occurring within the emerging generation. And I just want to call our church to not age out, but to age up, to say every generation that comes along, they have a place at Crisis Love Church. They have a place on the platform. We're not going to hold these places on the platform uh, just for uh, those who have always had them. We're going to share them with a new generation. We're going to share leadership opportunities. Sometimes we're going to step it up and sometimes we're going to step aside. We're going to believe that God is going to raise up as he already is doing a generation that has new strength for the challenges to come. Those we are concerned about are also the ones that God will use to heal us 
and to lead us and to take us in to new places for the Lord. That's why Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says, The word of the Lord came to me. It came to Jeremiah. He said, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. How many know that God, God has a predetermined plan for every embryo, for every life, that those who are in the womb, they are human beings. They are children with a destiny, a call, a purpose for this generation. And then once, once they are birthed, the children that are in the foster homes, God has a plan for them. The children that are waiting at DCS to be assigned, God has a plan for them. We know this is the, the, the children who are, who are causing problems in our neighborhoods and in our cities and who are disruptive. God hasn't given up on them. God has a plan for them. There is, there is a teenager in your life. There's a college-age student in your life. There's a young professional. There's a young adult. There's a child. They may not be related to you by blood. They may not have your same name, but they have the same father. His name is Yahweh. The Lord is one, and he is the father of all creation. He's not just the father of suburban kids. He's not just the father of those who are, have access to education. He's not just the father of the nuclear family, those who have access to a mom or dad. He's a father to the orphan. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a father to those who have been damaged and abused, and he doesn't write them off. You know, the world would say if your reading proficiency isn't at a certain level by, it used to be fourth grade, now it's third grade. There's this high likelihood that you're going to be in prison, or you're going to be unemployed someday, or you're not going to go to college. That's what the world says as they analyze statistics. But when God looks at the destiny of a child, of a third grader, he doesn't judge them by a test. He doesn't judge them by a number. He doesn't judge them by a score. He believes in them. And he's looking for a church and he's looking for a mom and he's looking for a grandfather and he's looking for an aunt and an uncle and a neighbor that says, I'll keep believing in that kid, for that kid, because they are not a statistic. They are not a problem. They are not one who is causing an issue. They are one who has been designed by God to make a great impact upon this world. I believe there are... Jeremiah's among us, prophets to the nations, people who are ready to declare God's word to places where there is not the gospel, people who are ready to declare God's word into uh, cultural places that have, have pushed aside the gospel. And, and I believe that they're around us and they're near us. And may God give us the spiritual eyes to see the potential in those who we love, those who are close to us and near to us. May God do that. I love what we discover about God's heart for David. In Acts chapter 13, it says, for David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried with his father and decayed. And then it talks about Jesus, but the one God who raised up did not decay. Praise God. But I want to emphasize the first part of that verse. After serving God's purpose in his own generation. Guys, can we fight for the kids? Can we fight for the teenagers? Can we fight for those who have been diagnosed with disorders and labeled and have had 
predictive outcome spoken over them. Not so, says the Lord. Let us believe. Let us fight. Let us, let us really see the possibilities. And thank you, moms. That moms, you haven't given up on your kids. I, I thank God that there's been some times that Beth has just believed things for our kids in a way that I haven't. And I thank God for her. And, and I just want you to know that, that, that there are times when God calls you to believe for a child, for a teenager, when no one else will. And guys, step into that in faith. It's a gift of faith that God has given you. So this is a resurrection of mentorship. A resurrection of mentorship. Don't be so self-centered. You're so impressed with your story that you're not part of someone else's story. Some of you can list, well, I had this person coach me. I had this person mentor me in college. I had this pastor who used to take me out to lunch. Well, why aren't you taking someone out to lunch? Why aren't you coaching someone? Don't be so impressed. Like I've got all these people who have impacted me. Well, pass it on. The story of God is not about you. It's about him. It's about his work in your life. And that which you have received, that which you have benefited from, that which you have made part of your life. So now, what I receive, I give. I receive, I give. You are not the center of the story. God's the center of the story. And he, he, he is working. And I praise God that I gave this sermon not only conquered the devil, I conquered this microphone. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. I kind of beat the microphone. I kind of didn't. Hey, if you're able to, let's stand together as we get ready for prayer. receive, oh Lord. We just receive everything that you have for us. God, you are great and greatly to be praised, and we thank you. I thank you that scripture is a book about relationships. I want you to hear this today. Some of you love the Bible, but maybe you don't love the story in the Bible. (laughs) Scripture is about relationships and people. It's not about facts and those, those things have their place, but sometimes at the end of the Gospels, we, the, the letters, excuse me, Paul and Peter, they're naming people, people they've been in their homes, people they've been in relationship with, people that they've traveled with. Guys, this is the kingdom of God. We, we're in each other's homes, and we travel, and we work together, and we have coffees together, and conversations in the lobby. This is what the kingdom of God is. The, the kingdom of God... It's not about how many Greek words you've memorized. It's not, it's not how, how you can make a technical analysis of the scripture. It's about the relationships that are birthed because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and God and Jesus Christ. And so a relational thing we do is we take Holy Communion together and most of you picked up a packet when you came in, but some of our servers are here and they're going to come to the front. And if you don't have one of those individual packets, and Paula, I'll take one. I don't have one. 
If you don't have one of these individual packets, as you, as you go down the aisle, just make, make that known and, and one of our servers will get those to you. We're part of a body. We're, we're part of a family. It's not just Christ has loved church. It's every church in Hendersonville, every church in Gallatin, every church in Nashville that believes specific things about Jesus and about truth. We're part of a family. And God has given a distinct role to men and women in the family of God. He's given distinct roles to men and women to work together, to partner together for the kingdom of God. We honor all people, but we do join our culture in honoring women today because we believe that women have distinct gifts and distinct call given by God and the world is irreplaceable. There, there, there is no world without women stepping into the calling that God's given them. And you know it in your heart what that calling is. You know in your heart that distinct calling. And the Lord, the Lord is making that known. And I just want to say to, to ladies here, and I, you know, I had my wife address you because as a, a woman, I know I'm limited to address women, but I, I want to say this as your pastor. Let the calling that God has given you to be a mentor, let it rest upon you. Don't resist that. Don't resist that calling. Let that calling rest upon you. The Lord will make it known what that is. And it's a good thing for you, but it's a great thing for us. We need godly women. We need women who are pursuing God. We need women who are, who are pursuing God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and hear this with love. We need you. Your life counts. We don't need you to, please don't check out. Please don't check out on your covenant. Please don't check out on your hopes and dreams. Please don't check out on your calling to mother. Listen, the Lord sees you and we need you and the community needs you. You, you, have, you have helped create this spiritual family and we thank God for for you. We thank God for this chance to come before the Lord. You know, the cross is before us and the symbolic bread and cup, they're before us because we are a Jesus-centered people. We center on the cross because we know that we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be believers if it wasn't for what Jesus did. It's his death and his resurrection that's made us whole. So there's a prayer of confession as we honor the death, the resurrection of Jesus and the we anticipate Jesus coming again physically, physically invisible. We pray this summary of doctrine and scripture as we confess our sins to the Lord. Would you join me as I pray this for myself? Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, Renew me and all of the world.